Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Living Open podcast. Chi Chi, the sweetest, best cat in the whole world, and I are happy that you're listening. Chi Chi's right here on my lap recording this intro with me. Um, today's episode is on number magic and growing with our spiritual practices. Alternative title, number magic and committing to being blasphemous with Rebecca Skolnick. Um, I'm gonna read you Rebecca's bio, but I also just want to say that we got into a lot of really interesting points about evolving our spiritual practices and growing with our spiritual practices and not, um, staying stuck in practices that don't serve anymore. Um, like neither of us are reading tarot for ourselves hardly at all anymore and how like that's okay. (laughs) That doesn't mean that it used to be wrong when we would read a lot of tarot. Um, It also doesn't mean that I don't like tarot anymore or respect tarot and we talk about like the role that that still has in our lives and that's just one example but you know how that applies to all kinds of different spiritual practices and I think that's really been on my mind and I've been writing about that on Substack and just really appreciating this conversation and the perspectives that Rebecca brought to it. So Rebecca uses she, her pronouns. She is an emotional witch, forever seeker, and queer human lady who uses magic and storytelling to support unlearning work and inspire new meaning making. She hopes to provide spiritual and practical support for those looking to reclaim freedom from all the ways in which our patriarchal, evangelist, white supremacist culture has taught us to hate ourselves, not know ourselves, and keep ourselves small. She lives in Manhattan with her wife and their pup, and she's deeply obsessed with them both. (laughs) You can find her links in the description, and her first book, The Witch's Book of Numbers, is out this fall wherever you get your books. So we talk about Rebecca's journey with healing and spirituality, evolving our spiritual practices and why neither of us read tarot for ourselves very much anymore as mentioned spirituality as part of capitalism everyone doing the work on both the facilitator and participant side on self-trust not putting people on pedestals all the hierophant things abandoning ourselves and calling it spirituality as my joy notes essay is called check it out at the link in the description, how we embody and interact with surrender, numerology magic, angel numbers existing and also not existing at the same time, (laughs) working with these systems and tools like tarot and numerology intuitively, lineages of numerology, life path numbers and what we can learn from them, and entry points into learning about your own numerology. I really enjoyed the numerology chat because it's not something that I know much about, 
Um, it's just sort of always like floating around in Instagram spirituality world as like something that people are doing um, and learning about and into, but I don't know too much about it other than like my basic numbers. So it was cool to talk to Rebecca about it in a way that's, you know, really intuitive and not dogmatic and is like integrate this into what you think and how you feel and integrate this in where it fits. And a quote that I pulled out from this episode that feels relevant to what I just shared is with these systems and tools, the feeling is the information. So the feeling is the information. I hope you enjoy this episode. You can check out my Substack, joy notes, writings on being stretched wide by grief and beauty and aliveness at the link in the description. You can also check out the Religious Trauma Workbook digital workbook full of prompts and reflections, meditations, rituals, somatic exercises to support deprogramming and healing and reclamation after religion. Also at the link in the description. (laughs) Okay, please enjoy this conversation. Sending you all lots of love and talk to you soon. So, as you know, I always like to start the show by hearing about your journey, and I would love to hear anything you want to share about your journey with healing, spirituality, numerology, like all of the things, and how it's brought you to this moment in your life and this work that you do. Yeah, juicy. Uh, just a simple, juicy question to get things <laughs> just going. Simple, just a one-liner. Just yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I feel like I've always been very spiritual and definitely seeking something. And so I am very transparent that in the beginning of my life, that was brought, like that came in the form of organized religion. So my mom was actually on the worship team at a non-denominational Christian church. Mm. And so I went uh, as a kid and then she kept moving from church to church and I didn't want to. And so at seven, I chose to go to like a church by myself, which I feel would never happen anymore. Like I could not imagine a, a modern parent just dropping their child off at a (laughs) random church. Um, But maybe, I don't know, quite an early 90s story for you. Mm -hmm. And I I was very active in the church until high school and, and was even on the worship team myself and kind of had that full circle moment. And I really, yeah, I just really felt like I was connecting with whatever word someone uses for the divine um, in that space. And I had a lot of really special and transformative experiences while considering myself to be Christian and uh, not, but not with other Christians, like with that, which man calls God (laughs) Um, and other Christians, you know, I mean, I definitely had my friend group and um, in high school was still kind of going to church as I was leaving the belief system, kind of still going to be with friends and to go on the trips and that kind of thing. Uh, But then when I got out of high school, I was really looking for something else. And so my mom has always been a little bit, well, what her generation would call new agey. Now that's taken Mm -hmm. on a whole new uh, kind of supremacist meaning in a lot of ways. And so she had interests in astrology and numerology and not so much tarot. That was kind of my, the first 
way that I feel like I branched off on my own was kind of getting my first tarot deck and and starting mm-hmm. to study the tarot. But she was very much supportive of my continuing my spiritual education. And so she had my charts done for me and kind of just said, what else would you like to explore? Which was really integral to not only our relationship, but then also my my spiritual journey, so to speak. So for the last uh, 13-ish years since I graduated high school, um, yeah, I'm 30 now, so 13, I really have just kind of explored. Like I love being in the soup with it all. I love reading about all different kinds of spiritual practices and beliefs and even religion. I'm very interested in alternative religion, even though I find it quite a destructive concept or, you know, construct that we've (laughs) created. And like, it's definitely not what I'm interested in now, but I'm interested in learning about it and kind Mm -hmm. of what are, what's at the root of all the stories that are being told. And yeah, so I would say most of my spiritual journey outside of like an organized construct has been truly eclectic, just kind of learning a little bit of everything, dabbling in some uh, fields that have been interesting to me, working with different practitioners. And yeah, numerology has always kind of just been something that I've used across modalities. I think it transfers really well and it's incorporated into a lot of different things. And so it's always kind of been one of those things that's been interesting to me. And then another moment of transparency, I just found it really niche. Like I didn't think anybody was really talking about it. You know, for a while I was really talking about tarot online. And I have so many fabulous colleagues and friends who are doing incredible work in the tarot space. But I was like, everyone's talking about tarot. No one's talking about numbers. So I just kind of started talking about it. And and then here we are. Yeah. Well, that's making me think about how I think for me, I've like ebbed and flowed through a lot of different spiritual practices and some now are more important to me than they were before. Some that used to be more important are not so important now. And I guess I'm curious if there's anything you want to say about like that evolution for you of like, I don't know, does that resonate? Like, have yeah, you sort of flowed in that way. It totally does. Yeah. Cause I remember like the first thing I think about is times where I've gotten down on myself for not carrying on spiritual practices or like letting things go. And I'm like, oh, well, how could I consider myself spiritual now when I haven't done anything spiritual, you know, quote unquote spiritual in when I don't X even amount know what of time. Moon is in right, now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly lost the moon. I've lost my (laughs) grounding cord to whatever I think. Yeah. Um, I will say now that I, I actually really don't read cards for myself anymore. That's like a big thing. I feel like when I read for other people, I'm speaking like fluent French. And when I'm, when I'm reading for myself, I'm speaking third grade Spanish and I've never (laughs) stepped foot in a classroom before. Like there's something about it that, um, Just, yeah. And even I had a reading with one of my lovely witches a couple years ago, and she literally was like, the cards would not like you to read for yourself anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The cards are like, actually, it's a no. (laughs) It's a pass for us. So now, like, I will say I'm very intentional about when I pull cards for myself, and I can and do still absolutely work with cards in the tarot. A lot of, like, my 
if I'm building altars, I'll start to pull cards or things. Um, but yeah, that's been like the biggest spiritual practice that I think I've moved away from personally mm-hmm. that that feels a little tender to admit that. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. And that <laughs> yeah. really resonates for me too. I'm very, very intentional about when I pull cards now and it is pretty rare, maybe once a season. Yeah. That. Like it's very rare. And I think for me, it's more about like, the tarot is a system or like way of viewing the world that I connect with, with this like symbology and magic and elements and like the cycles and rhythms that are playing out through each suit and through the majors and the fool's journey. And so I'm like holding tarot with me and in me, even though I'm barely pulling cards almost ever, but I still feel quite connected to those archetypes and symbols and themes. And I also totally have felt like a little bit of, you didn't use the word shame, but I'll use the word shame. (laughs) A little bit of shame of like, but if I'm reading tarot for other people for my work, then I should be like pulling my own cards every day. But I think it's so much more powerful to just be like, this is what feels good. And every something different feels good for everyone. And we're allowed to like outgrow and change and shift or, you know, like we can do whatever it's, it's our practice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that about feeling like it's still in you and you still are seeing the world through those lenses or have access to those lenses with, even without making it a daily or even a really regular practice, because that is kind of how I feel about it as well. And I think if spirituality and all of the tools that we use to connect with our own sense of spirituality, if those are just to help us feel connected to the world, then I think there is something really beautiful about saying, okay, I can still find connection and I still feel connected even if I'm not using those tools. Like I think sometimes we can get stuck on the tools and forget that the tools are actually just a helper, like a conduit for us to to feel connected, if that makes sense. So it it is about us. It's not about the tools. Totally. I'm actually writing a book right now and I am working on this whole section where I'm talking about that a lot and how I'm like, oh, yes. I was confused for years, I think, and thought like the tools were spirituality. And I'm like, actually, spirituality to me is like aliveness and connection and like it's all of these other things. And some of these tools can really help me like open to access more of that in my life, but they're not the thing itself. They're helpers, just like you said. And that feels like they're centered in an appropriate way in my life now. And not like this is the thing, but this is the thing that helps me live how I want to live and be who I want to be. Yeah. Well, first of all, I can't wait to read your book. Uh, (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Like years, literally. I'm like just (laughs) starting to write it, but yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Well, count me in your first reader. Um, Yes. I know how that goes. That process goes. So also so much love and comfort to you as you move through that creative process. Thank you. (laughs) And yeah, I think if we attach too much to the tool, then we are forgetting that it's us. And so I love that idea too, of this confusion of, oh, I don't need the tool uh, to be spiritual or to find a spiritual connection. And I say this as somebody who has 
zero a zero percent meditation practice. Like I absolutely <laughs> do not have one. But I think about meditation sometimes in this in the soup of this because it is just if you can sit and be still, then you don't need anything else. There's no there's mm-hmm. no tool there outside of yourself. And so, yeah, I would hate to find myself in a place where I would feel like I couldn't be spiritual without tarot or without, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the numbers are everywhere, but, <laughs> but kind of yeah. like without candles or without crystals or tools or, or something like I like to be able to touch magic and to make magic without all that stuff. Yeah, me too. I think it's really important to be able to root into that knowing and to to just be a little bit careful and understand like how capitalism is also part of spirituality and wellness world. Yeah. And like, is this desire for this thing, this tool, whatever coming from me? Is it like, why do I actually want this thing? Or is it like, I'm just like kind of being influenced by Instagram, you know, like it's not bad to use tools, but I think we have to be really careful because it's really sticky. Super sticky, especially in the last couple of years when everything has shifted to being very online and very Mm -hmm. social media. And not saying that I'm not influenced when I walk into a beautiful crystal shop, but I do think that there is something extra. I love the word sticky, like extra sticky (laughs) about the idea that you go on your phone and you turn on this app. And even if the shop is run by a person who is wonderful and magical and all of the things I do think we can't dis like we can't forget that there is that element of sales and like selling there and so there is no real ethical consumption under capitalism but it's true like I've had to unfollow stores that I love and that I frequent so that I I got to a point in mm-hmm. I think sometime last year where we were moving and I was like I have to stop buying things <laughs> like I <laughs> have hit the point where I have to stop buying things and I totally found myself in that place where if I really sat and thought about it I didn't need half the things I was buying, somebody told me it was cool. Yeah. I think yeah. this element of the online piece that somehow doesn't come through as much in the store where it's like, this is who you will be if you buy this thing. And like in the store, it doesn't just, it just doesn't feel that way to me. And like, if I'm going into a store then I'm like thinking about probably buying or I don't know, there's like just more intentionality to it. And it feels like a more embodied experience. I got mm-hmm. like this. I'm like touching things and their smells, and like I'm experiencing it more than just like, okay, another crystal on the internet or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, and it takes out the FOMO of it too. Like there is this yeah. when you feel like a sale is happening online, and you're like, <laughs> oh, I want to be a part of that. <laughs> Miss out. I know. (laughs) How dare. (laughs) Well, I think we're talking about something really interesting here, which is also about how we like replicate some of the same things that I personally hated in religion, in spirituality and in spiritual practice. And something I've been thinking about a lot is like, first of all, where am I still doing that in myself? And second of all, like as someone who facilitates work, how do I invite people to engage with my work in a way that doesn't unconsciously like replicate that dynamic? 
Um, I'm curious about your thoughts about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I do think about this a lot and I feel I feel that some of what you're touching on has actually kept me from offering larger scale things. Mm. Um, not that I have many like in my back pocket or have said no to, but it definitely has, I've I've thought about it a lot because I think that there is something really great when learning about having structure and having community and having all of these things that kind of religion offers. But then there also seems to be this narrative of like, if you don't do it, or if you're not doing it in this way, mm-hmm. um, then you will not achieve the thing or you will not find yourself or success or whatever mm-hmm. kind of the thing is. And I this even a lot in terms of like marketing my own book or my own work is saying, you know, there seems to be this emphasis on like, tell them what the book can do for them. Tell them how the book will change their life. And I'm like, I don't know that I actually feel, it's not that I don't feel like my, yes, of course, please let me, let my book change your life. But that's not where I'm coming from. Like I'm coming from a space of here's a ton of stuff I learned and have had a lot of fun playing with and living and and also here are my ethics and my foundation for my life and if that's cool for you then come on in and take a swim and if that's not cool for you then that's okay and so i try to be very clear in my work that i want everyone to be responsible for themselves in my space because i will take all of the steps that I can to ensure that I am causing the least harm as possible and being like the most supportive um, co co creator or te- quote unquote teacher that mm-hmm. one could have while also really being firm in you are your own best teacher. You are a sovereign individual. You know what will work for you and what will not work for you. Mm-hmm. And please do not do things because I say to do them. So I think yeah. I think that's kind of where it hits me the most is just figuring out what is the proper relationship between a teacher or a guide or a facilitator or a reader, like a practitioner and the client or the student or the community member. Like what is that relationship? Because I've, that's what I fear in the religious tie-in is that, you know, I don't want to just become another figurehead for something. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's like, there's that piece, there's the part that we can do what's in our control. And then also on the other end of things, as someone who is like in a community or receiving services, like I have totally been in a place where a facilitator was trying to do a really good job of not making that happen. And I was just like, please let me give you my like so it's like everybody has to do this kind of work themselves I think it's not enough even just for us as facilitators to be like to do the best that we can I think we we can and should and then also we all have to do that kind of really difficult work of figuring out like why do we want to do that what are we thinking it's going to give us like how do we root into ourselves a little bit more yeah, I think about that scene from Fleabag. Have you seen Fleabag? The- I have not, but it's really gay, right? Okay. It, it. Um, 
I, I don't, it's not really gay, but it is great. Oh. Okay. Well, now I'm not going to watch it. I wish it were gay. Maybe everything's gay. Um, I mean, you think of something else? I, don't I know. think you might be. It's, um, it's written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. It's a British show. It's um, on, I think Amazon. Sorry. Sorry mm-hmm. about the Amazon of it all, but that's where it is. And it has two seasons. And the second season, she finds herself in con- con- connection with a um, hot priest, a hot priest. <laughs> and so there's a lot of religious themes. And I actually, I think the whole thing is brilliant. But there's this scene that takes place in a confessional. And she kind of just breaks down and says, like, I want someone to tell me what to do all day, every day. Like I want someone to tell me what to wear. I want someone to tell me what to say, what to think, how to be. And it's this really cathartic moment of, you know, obviously that's not what the show is saying you should feel or that that would even be healthy. But I think it touches into that very real human part of us that we just don't fucking know. And we want somebody to tell us what they are certain of and how we should be. And I have like so much, I even like feel it in my body now. Like I feel so much empathy and compassion and connection to that feeling because I think it's so real and I don't think that it goes away regardless of the personal work that you've done to be your own authority figure. I think it pops up all constantly. And so then at least for me, if that comes up, then it's like, okay, what am I scared of? What do I what am I afraid I will mess up if I handle this myself? Mm-hmm. Um, what am I not ready to look at about myself? You know, what am why am I willing to give this decision to someone else? Why don't I want to make it for myself? So I think it's a really like tender entry point for a lot of questions and like deeper reflection, but I don't know that it goes away. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And when you're saying those questions, I'm like, I think a part of it for me anyways is like, oh, what do I not want to take responsibility for? Like, it's easier if I'm just like, uh-huh. this happened to me. I didn't like do any, like, I just like let it happen or something rather than like, oh, I have to make a conscious choice. And like, what happens from that? Like, I played a role in and how can I like yeah. talk to myself through that and be with myself through that? But there's totally like a small baby part of me that just wants to be like cared for and fed and just like you just make all the decisions for me and do everything for me and just like give me a bath you know (laughs) a thousand percent like please microwave my milk and touch my hair and yes a thousand thousand percent a thousand percent I know I know I think it also this idea of like giving decisions to someone else, I found out really quickly and like learned the hard way that a part of my immediate connection to the universe or whatever part of me talks to the me's everywhere, you know, but like Mm -hmm. whatever part of me talks to the universe, like I have to be very careful about what I say because a lot of times that, or what I want, because a lot of times it does happen. And if I don't decide it, then it's decided for me. 
And I I liken it to a breakup. Like it's always better to be the one doing the breaking up than to be the <laughs> one broken up with. You know what I mean? And so like this is a great example. Like one day I was on the phone with my friend and I was working a nanny job and I hated it. And I was like, I really think I'm done. Like I would like to be done with this job. And I literally walked upstairs and got fired or like let go. <laughs> it wasn't the family was moving. So it wasn't. It wasn't me, they said, but it wasn't a good fit. It could of have been. Of course, me. it wasn't you. Yeah, yeah, it definitely could have been me. But I was like, I was not ready to take the leap to remove myself from the situation, but I was very quickly removed from the situation. And mm-hmm. so, in that regard, I think actually being the one to not leave or to not make the decision was hard for me because then I felt rejected and then I felt like a failure. Oh, I lost my job, you know, all this other narrative. So I think it's a double-edged sword. Like sometimes it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, I just did what so-and-so said. Um, And, but then it can also be hard if you're a person who does want to have some kind of autonomy. It's like, well, then you got to do the thing. You got to do the thing. You got to do the thing. I think it's like some... Yeah, it's some kind of mix of everything and some kind of balance in there. I'm working on this um, piece right now for my Substack, And I just, when I was sort of like brain dumping everything onto the page, I wrote like abandoning myself and calling it surrendering, abandoning myself spirituality. And I was like, that is so true to parts of my experience and like things that I did. Like I absolutely did that and was like, I'm just being so present and I'm just like surrendering to the unit and all that. But I actually like really was not showing up for myself in the way that I needed to. And I feel sad about that. Um, I feel sad for that self who did Mm. that. Can I ask like, what does surrender mean to you or what, how Mm -hmm. do you embody and like interact with that concept. I think that's one that has a lot of religious connotations that I truly have not figured out how to work with in my current life. (laughs) I don't think I figured out how to work with it either, but I think I'm in sort of a place of some kind of balance of like, I try and be really present with my life and show up for like the invitations of my life and also I take responsibility for like getting my need. I'm working on taking responsibility, I should say, for getting my needs met and for experiencing things I want to experience and feeling how I want to feel and all of that. And also understanding like what's in my control and what's not and being able to like be with uncertainty in a way mm. that, like the universe is unknowable. Like there are literally one million billion trillion things that I have no control over. So I'm just like trying to be with the truth of that and not cling really hard, but also mm. still like root into the power and agency that I have and also the presence that I can can give to myself in my life. Who knows? Yeah. That's what I am right now. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for that. Yeah, because what I hear too, is a lot of like surrender being almost synonymous with acceptance of just being Mm. with what is. And, but also in a way that I love this notion of it can't be, it can't come at the cost of your, of being with yourself. This idea of we can't accept or surrender or whatever word you want to use 
and abandon ourselves, you know, so where, where is it where we would like to call it surrender, but it's actually us not taking accountability for something or, oh, I'm just going to accept this, but actually we could make a change. We could take action around Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I think that's why it's tricky because we're always doing this dance of, you know, not rugged individualism, but like the self (laughs) exists or does it? I don't know. But (laughs) someone will be like, it doesn't. And here's why. And I'll be like, great. great. Uh, (laughs) But I do think we're like always kind of doing this dance between being with ourselves and being with others or the universe or Mm -hmm. like that, which lives outside of ourselves. So yeah, it's a fascinating Again, I don't know. I don't know what surrender means to me at this moment. Yeah, that's okay. Thanks for yeah. asking. I think yeah. it really is such does feel like such a religious concept. And I think in the like context that I learned about surrender, it was about this like God is fully in control of everything and you have no control. But then at the same time, you do have control over your own behaviors, but also God is in control of everything, like pulling puppet strings anyway. So it was like a weird, like both things were taught. Um, Yeah. Well, you definitely have the power and agency to make the wrong choice, (laughs) you know, like you can definitely do the wrong thing. You can go against God's plan. You can be bad. Right. (laughs) Those are your only options. Yeah. (laughs) You've either surrendered or you're a heathen. That's, that's it. Make your choice. Heathen club. Fully. Like that's the sweatshirt we need. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, can you show people the sweatshirt? Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I do tarot. My sweatshirt. Yes. Made by Charlie Quick. Charlie Claire Burgess of the Word Witch, brilliant creator. And yeah, they have a bunch of really awesome shirts and like they have a death card from their fifth spirit tarot that I also Mm. have. And I love wearing that shirt. And then, yeah, I just could not, I could not not have a sweatshirt that says be gay, do tarot. (laughs) (laughs) Who wouldn't want that? (laughs) Like basically all you need to know about me, really. (laughs) Well, I feel like I want to ask you a little bit more about the numbers and your work with the numbers. And I I guess I'm curious as like an entry point kind of from what we're already talking about, like, how does that support you? How does that help you access more of yourself, experience life the way you want to? Like, what, how are the numbers a helper? Yeah. So I think that the numbers are just another way to like view the world. And so something that was really interesting to me and how the like religion tie in was that in the time that numerology was kind of coming onto the scene and being taught and observed as a more of a cultural tool or language was when the earliest like scientists and mathematicians and philosophers were being trained in mystery temple schools to become both their chosen field and priests. So the mystical and the practical were really blended in this idea that the, that numbers and more like 
sciencey principles and like, you know, interacting with the world through empirical means was still actually interacting with that which man called God, because numbers were just another language that was used to write the world. Mm. And so that was really fascinating to me, this idea, because I am terrible at math. It's a huge <laughs> cosmic joke that I wrote a whole book on numbers and that I do math for people almost every day now with the help of my calculator. There's <laughs> no shame in this game. But it was really fascinating to me to think that 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 was the lens with which, you know, that they found connection, like those early those early thinkers really found divine connection through something as empirical or structured or practical as math or measurement. So already without even getting into the numbers themselves, I think conceptually that really helped me to bridge a gap into thinking that like science and spirituality can work together mm -hmm. and they both have their own purposes, but they don't necessarily negate or cancel each other out. Like they absolutely exist. They coexist and they co-create together. And I think moving from dogma and like, this is how it is, like felt very math to me, <laughs> you know, this is the mm -hmm. answer that you find. And then moving into like tarot or spirituality or any of those like tools or other systems of belief was felt very fluid and okay, we don't need to have any answers. Mm -hmm. And so numerology as a concept just kind of helped me to find this middle point of saying, okay, it can be mystical and practical mm -hmm. and fun and fun. Like I think my hot take on angel numbers is that like they exist and they don't exist. And they're, you know, like, obviously I, I know that that's really a hot take. I know a lot of people love angel I numbers. I would love to hear more. I am not tied anything to do with angels. I really don't care about personally, <laughs> so I'm not invested, but I am curious. <laughs> well, angel numbers are just repeating numbers, which I do think I would love to do some research on like how the angel vibe like co-opted the idea of repeating numbers. You know what I mean? Because like, why do we call them that? I don't know. I haven't really checked. Um, <laughs> I would love to look into that. But this idea of repeating numbers, like a lot of that's one of the most uh, that's one of like the regular questions that I get from people are like, oh, what do these mean? Like, what do you think about it? And I'm like, what do you think about it? Like when you see them, what do you think about? How do you feel? How does it bring you into connection with the present moment or with yourself or with that which you call God or the divine? Like, how does that moment of universal, like, oh, I see you. Like, that's really what it is for me is this this door, this portal, that uh, an opportunity to say, oh, hey, I see this. It's really, it is communication. I fully believe it's communication, but I don't know. I think we need to bring personal meaning to tools like numerology that yes, I can totally tell you the numbers and their energies and how that is helpful as well. But I think so much of it is, is like personal meaning making and personal mm -hmm. attention to to magic in the universe. So yeah, I'll, I I always think those lists of like, 
111 means this, 222 means this is really funny to me. I'm like, sure. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I really love that because it feels so invitational. And it reminds me of like working with dreams and how it's so much more powerful to be like, what does this symbol mean to me? How does it make Mm -hmm. me feel? Like, what are my associations with it? Rather than like, oh, a wolf equals this in this book, (laughs) which shout out to Tara Burke and Tanya Estelle and their amazing work around intuitive dream work and all of that. Um, And and working with tarot too, like, I think it is so cute. And I felt this way also when people are like, but I have to know what it means. I can't just like go by how it makes me feel. And I'm like, great, sure. But like, I kind of wish that I never even learned that stuff. (laughs) I know. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, and that's the interesting thing as well, because, and then I will say one practical way that numerology has been a helper um, (laughs) since that is the question you asked and not like, what do I feel about angel numbers? But uh, I I got got you on a tangent. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. I will get there myself if you didn't help. Um, But I think it's, what's really interesting about these, like the meaning making systems as well. And your idea of like, what if we never learned them? First of all, like that would be beautiful. And I would love to run an experiment because I think if anybody, Mm. like it would really truly have to be a small child who has never learned anything. (laughs) It's just like handed a deck of cards. Because I think once we get any kind of cultural knowledge or understanding of something, it's very hard to move away from that as much as you know you you want to but i think with some of these systems and these tools a feeling is the information you know mm-hmm. how you feel in your body that is valid information what you think about like the memories that it elicits or the connections to a book you read the other day that obviously nobody else would have that experience but you like that, that is valid information. And so I run into this a, a lot too, because we rightfully want to be scholarly. We want to be knowledgeable. We want to say, you know, cite our sources and, or our lineages and say, this is where I learned that, or this is what someone said. But then we get into this space of intuitive knowing or even creative, like untangling work. And I, I've done a lot of work just connecting with kind of the spirit of the number or like, Mm. I'm like, okay, today I'm journeying with the number five. And like, I don't know what that means, but I'll know when it shows up and I do, and it does show up Mm. and it does teach. But then folks are like, well, where did you get that information? And I'm like, from the number five itself. Like, and I feel very (laughs) silly saying that. Um, but I, yeah, because because this work has found me really in the center of mystical and practical, I find it really interesting to say like, okay, this is where my like scholarly resources come in. And this is where just my own intuitive knowing or exploration or whatever mm-hmm. also gets a seat at the table because that's valid information. Yeah. I am such a huge, huge fan of holding multiple things at once, (laughs) letting multiple things be true. Like it doesn't have to be 100% scholarly knowledge or 100% intuitive knowing. Like we can hold both those things and let the number five speak to you. And also whatever research you've done, I'm like, I don't know how you learn about numbers. I don't know anything (laughs) about them really, but (laughs) what other people have to say about the numbers can impact too. And like, it can, it can all be true and you can learn more about the numbers or any other tool or system 
anytime too, and it can grow and change. And I think that's great. I love that. Totally. Totally. So numerology for me is really this like twofold practice. So the first part is the study. So you can study the divine language of numbers. So you can get to know their energies. And these are principles that numerology is considered an ancient school of thought or an ancient practice. And it has um, many different systems that have popped up in both the East and the West. So still very prominent today. You have Chinese numerology, which has its own set of energies and rules and systems. You'll have uh, Chaldean numerology, which is from Babylon. The Babylonian has become Chaldean, and that has its own system and um, structure and beliefs. And then my lineage is Pythagorean. So Pythagoras, probably most people know him from math class. Like, yes, yeah, the <laughs> theorems. And so I found a lot of like fun and freedom in researching Pythagoras, who essentially is a mythic figure at this point. Like scholars have come to some common agreements about who he was and where he lived and what he did. Um, but a lot of of knowledge about him has been lost or has been, you know, we have to take into account that a lot of it was oral storytelling. And so these mythologies of him have have kind of like a game of telephone made their way, you know, through the decades, but it's really interesting. So my lineage comes from Pythagoras in Greece who studied in Egypt. So reconnecting kind of that comedic Egyptian lineage and up through into Greece and then obviously into the West, the modern Western world. But we can learn about numerology and learn about the numbers. All of the all of the schools of thought do have common threads, of course, but a major differences. So it's really important if you're out there on Google to just know at least what system you're working within. Mm. Um, like Pythagoras and Pythagorean numerology looks at one through nine primarily and then has some master numbers, but Chaldean numerology only goes to eight. They don't look at nine and they have very different interpretations of things. So just know it's important to know what system you're working in. So first it's the learning. And then the second is this like creative or intuitive application of that information. So just like anyone has a personal astrological chart, we also have personal numerological charts mm -hmm. and we can find certain numbers derived from the birthday. And we can also find certain numbers derived through our name. And that's really interesting mm -hmm. too. So the Pythagorean alphabet is super easy. It's like A is one, B is two, C is three. We only use nine. So once you get to I is nine, you start back over J is one. So again, kind of like you were saying with the tarot and looking at cycles, numerology totally looks at cycles. It's always this spiral of one through nine. And then once you, this is the coolest part, like once you get to nine, um, if you're calculating yearly cycles or, or looking at some more like spiralic things, once you get to nine, you go back to one, like the math just works. It's mm. wild. And I'm like, okay, yes, this is <laughs> okay. divinely constructed somehow, certainly. Um, so I think we can interact with numbers in many ways, but if you are somebody who likes to do personal reflective or work or exploration of self, numbers can also be a really cool way to tap into your overall journey on this life path, um, what's happening for you in any given year. You could go month or day if you want to get really specific with it, um, but then also 
kind of what, like, what's your public persona number? Like, who are you showing up as your more performative self or somebody, you know, that's social and kind of you, but maybe not you when you're home alone. And then you can also kind of find those numbers as well. So lots of ways to work with it. That's so interesting. Um, Is there anything that you've learned about yourself that you want to share from like working with one of those kinds of numbers? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think the most interesting number, so I'm on a life path of eight and you find your life path number by adding up your entire birthday until you get a single digit. So we're always... You can start in your numerological practice. Once you get the basics, you can absolutely start working with double digit numbers or triple digits or whatever. Um, But most of the work is trying to get down to like that root number. So you just keep adding until you're able um, to get there. And so you would add your full birthday up to get to the number eight. I know I'm a seven. I would oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. The seeker. Yeah, I call seven the seeker. Seven is all about spirituality, but also kind of secrets and that which is known and unknown and kind of dancing between. Yeah. So seven is totally the number of the occult, of um esotericism, of spirituality. I don't know that seven is totally in like. I actually don't think seven is the number of religion if I had to pick one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it. I think it's actually anti-religion because seven's really interested in the questions, not the answers. That feels so true to who I am as a person. I'm sorry. I'm just letting my cat in because she's. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I muted myself earlier because my dog was like, let me drink the largest bowl of water you've ever heard in your life. Um, but something that, so my, I'm on a life path of eight and life path is a funny number because you might not feel super connected to your life path at all times. I think as we grow and as we live our lives, we might come into more understanding around that number because it really is like the zoomed out journey. Mm -hmm. So if you're 17 and like Mm -hmm. for me, eight is the number, um, eight is the powerhouse. So if you switch, if you flip eight on its side, you get the infinity symbol. So it's really the number of divine resourcing. It's like the infinite and how, how you are connected, how things are always flowing, how resourcing is always available to us and, and really of power too. Right. And so it's, it's this heavy concept of like power and money and abundance and, and all of these very lofty things, but in there gets confidence. So something that I learned about myself and the number eight was actually connecting with all the ways in which I feel like I've connected to the flip side of eight or what some might call the shadow side. I don't know if I love that language, but (laughs) we'll go there. But it's like, if eight is the number of confidence, then it's also the number of insecurity. Mm. And so I've, if it's the number of embodiment, then it's also the experience of being disembodied or not in our bodies. And so I really feel like I've learned a lot about myself by the ways that I've embodied the the aspects of the number that I've 
then I'm like, damn, yeah, no, I really had, I had self-esteem issues. I still have self-esteem issues. I'm meeting myself in the spiral again of like not being happy with my body where for a few years I was really happy with my body. So seeing how, you know, these aren't fixed points either. We don't, we're not on this journey and then we arrive and we never have to deal with those things again. It really is like, oh, if I don't feel connected to what I would consider like the quote unquote good aspects of this number or what I want out of it, how have I actually embodied some of the elements that I, that are my work? Like, how is that the invitation kind of into myself? Um, I also just have to say that eight is always talked about as a money number or like the boss or the CEO. And I have really tried so hard in my work to pull it from capitalism and be like, we, we have to like these numbers existed so much long, like have existed for so much longer than this dumb structure of capitalism and like even the idea of the economy right so (laughs) if we're like we just can't tie this robust powerful like divine energy to something so small and exploitative uh so yeah every time i see someone be like yeah eight is the path is like the boss bitch and i'm like absolutely not absolutely not Thank you for busting that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like definitely can be detail oriented, ambitious, driven, good at managing things. We love all those qualities, but we don't have to like tie them to capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I know we have to wrap up, but do you have time for one more question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think I just want to ask real quick, like, if people are wanting to dip their toe into numerology, what's a, a like gentle entry point for them? Yeah. So I cheekily refer to the top three, like the first three numbers that I look at in anyone's chart as the Holy Trinity of your <laughs> numerology chart. Um, I'm nothing if not committed to being blasphemous in my life now, like wholeheartedly. <laughs> Um, that's getting pulled out as a quote I don't know where it's gonna go but I'm (laughs) perfect I can't wait I can't (laughs) wait for for that um I I am though and so I do call it the holy trinity it's all it's three numbers derived from your birthday they're very easy to find I already gave you the life path as your whole number or your whole birthday added up until you get a single digit Then the public persona is more of that, like how you show up for it. That's just the month and the day of your birth to get that single digit. And then the third is your yearly cycle. So that is where you take the month and the day of your birth and you add it to whatever the current year is. And that's the one where if you start doing the math, you'll see these nine-year cycles. Mm. So I think finding those three numbers are is a really cool way to get like a quote unquote complete snapshot of things, right? A zoomed out perspective, zoomed in, and then kind of how you're showing up for it. But if even that feels too much, I always say yearly cycle because Mm -hmm. yearly cycle is, it brings the focus down to just right now, you know, in 2022, it's usually what we can grab the most of. Like I can say, oh yeah, okay. If I'm in a two year and two is this, I can see, Already, I can use my little hindsight to be like, yeah, that's how it's showing up. Or um, this is really good food for thought because I have this big thing coming up and maybe, 
if I approach it from from this energetic lens or place, then I can um, bring something to it that maybe wasn't on my radar before. But also it is just kind of easy magic, like to see the numbers work out, to see the math kind of go one through nine. You can pull out those nine-year chunks of life and see if there's a, a larger story going on. Uh, but I think yearly cycle, again, adding the month and the day of your birth to the yearly cycle is the most tangible way to get it, to do it like today. So okay. what's yours? Okay. So you add the month <laughs> and the day to the year. So yeah. October 19th, coming okay, up. Great. It's coming <laughs> up. Oh my gosh. Hello, 11. Okay, great. A public persona 11? of 11, oh, right? Because okay. one plus one plus nine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so 11 is the idealist. That's your public persona. <laughs> so someone who shows up and is very much like, like has a romantic lens of things, like sees the way that things could be and might have a hard time being with what is that back to that, like present yeah. moment. Um, but it's this like higher perspective that we really need. And then you would add that to 2022, which is six. So if you did uh, 11 is two at the end of the day, you know, one and one is two plus six. Mm -hmm. So you're in an eight year. So it's funny that we've been talking about the number eight already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I find that eight in a yearly cycle is um, the opportunity to take action. Like there's always opportunity for action or momentum or forward movement in an eight year mm -hmm. uh, because it usually comes off the back of a really intense and could be difficult seven year where 100%. you didn't, yeah, didn't have a lot of answers, <laughs> didn't have a lot, uh, couldn't take a lot of action, a lot of questions, um, maybe a little bit of spiritual crisis or doubt seeped in, you know, what am I doing here? Those big questions love to pop in on the seven year. And then the eight feels like we've been held back and then we get let go. And if we want to fly, like we could actually do that. I love that. That feels so, so true. I think last year was absolutely a, a seven year, a tower year is how I have framed it. Um, yes. And this year is like, creatively really action oriented like I published my poetry collection in the spring I'm starting to work on my book my partner and I are moving in together oh I love that I love which is <laughs> yes I got a cat like definitely a lot of like really cool exciting things have happened and like a lot of also just like showing up for writing like showing up to like work on things that I really want to work at. So that feels yeah. really Of course. And thank you for sharing all of that as well, because eight is really, you know, where, where and how do we feel the most in our bodies? Do we feel the most in our own power? Mm -hmm. Eight is also really connected to pleasure. So I love this idea mm -hmm. of, of taking action on your love. You know, you're like, <laughs> yes, let's, let's build, let's make, yeah. let's create space for, for pleasure, for joy, for embodiment that's where your power really lies. I think that's where our, yeah. our power lies. Cause like no one's, no one can feel pleasure for us. Like that's such a, such a personal and embodied experience, even if we're sharing it with someone else. Yeah. I really believe that too. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for saying yes to this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fun. Um, I'm going to ask you the last question I always ask on this show, which is just what does living open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? 
I think living open to me feels like just being available, being available for new experiences, or like you said earlier, the invitations of life, um, but also being available for new information and for my, like living open to me is living it, like kind of live and let live like in living in non-judgment of other people and what works for them and really trying to figure out what works for me while also knowing that that's not a fixed point that that could change and that I'm hello kitty uh, she's like I'm new and I'm ready to be seen <laughs> be the star yes yes of course as is my dog wherever he is no please I will always be interrupted by an animal uh, but yeah I think living open to me means not being afraid to shape shift with whoever I am or whatever circumstances I find myself in uh, at any given moment mm-hmm. and and not to not to be all numbers all the time but hey I my public persona number is five and five is really the number of change and I think of Octavia E Butler's goddess change constantly yeah. it's like such a tenant in my life and especially as I've reworked my relationship to the divine and I think so change is something that I engage with, in life in a very real way. And it's, you know, it's in my numbers, it's in my life experiences. Mm -hmm. And so not being afraid of that and, and actually really allowing myself to be surprised and delighted by it, as well as all the times where I just want to like curse at the sky. (laughs) Yeah. That surprise and delight feels so sweet. And also like, awe for me sometimes I think totally really appreciate the experience of awe and can have that when I like look at all those changes and all the bigger cycles. Totally. And that's hard. Like you have to choose to do that and, and to allow yourself to be open to that. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell people where they can connect with you, find you, you have a book where can people order, not pre-order because now it's out. out. Yes. Yeah. So you can find me online. My website is rebeccaskolnick.com. And I'm sure the spelling of that will be somewhere. Um, And then I'm on Instagram at bskolnick. So B-E-E Skolnick is my Instagram. Uh, I post blasphemies every Sunday as a spiritual (laughs) practice (laughs) and much, much more. And then, yes, my first book is called The Witch's Book of Numbers, Enhancing Your Magic with Numerology. And it's a total buffet of information, both about the numbers, but also about um, witchcraft or spiritual practices and combining the two. And that, yeah, is available wherever books are sold officially now. Wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. I think most places that books are sold. You know, the you can get it at Barnes and Noble or Amazon or Bookshop and support an indie seller. So yeah. Amazing. All the links to that will definitely be in the description so people can check them out. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. It's a total pleasure. 
thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.